I'm Tim Burrows from Unmade. Today's guest is Jason Tonelli, CEO of media agency Zenith and the new chair of the Audited Media Association of Australia. He's been in place for four months and has already launched a new proposition. That's where we'll begin. Jason, let's start with your new proposition. You took the helm of Zenith at the start of the year. You didn't waste much time. ROI cubed. What does that actually mean? Thanks, Tim, and thanks for having me on the podcast today. It's really exciting to be chatting to you again. Um, It's a great question. When I start to think about um, the journey we've been on, though it's been a very relatively short journey of five months, it really started when Mike Rebello, the group CEO, and I sat down to start to have a think about what Zenith looks like in the future. And his brief was really clear to me and the leadership team, which was Zenith's a powerhouse agency. How do we capitalize on that? How do we make sure everybody understands what the proposition is? And how are you going to take it to market with some really interesting product and developments that we had started to think about? And so when I sat down with the team, I said, what are we good at and what do we want to be known for? for?" And I think it all started with sitting with the team and saying, let's have some core focus around Zenith as an organization. We've been in existence for over 30 years globally and have very strong European, APAC and US um, roots and wanted to continue that legacy here in Australia. So we sat down and said, well, first, we're going to be really, really good at media. We want to do media exceptionally well. And then when we took it to the next level and said, okay, what does that mean? And where are the tenants of our business? We really started to think about three eyes that we could own. And that's where ROI Cube came from, the three eyes or the power of three, um, which are insight, imagination, and investment. We wanted to be excellent at knowing the Aussies and New Zealanders um, in the market really, really well and help our clients to navigate those people. We wanted to get our clients to market in different ways and we wanted to capitalize on our legacy, which has always been investment and buying and trading for our clients exceptionally well. Well, let's drill into those um, those three uh, three pillars or three legs of the stool as we as we go. Then, um, yeah, let's let's maybe start with investment because I guess that that in a way I suppose was was where media agencies came from just the ability to 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 to, to use their their size and their scale to invest better for clients um is that still as relevant now as it would have been 20 or 25 years ago when media agencies first came through well, I think size and scale is one thing Tim but to be honest I think it's less relevant today than it is or was 20 years ago to your point I think now it's around intelligence. Investments really become a knowledge game. It's come it's come down to how do I know what our clients are trying to achieve? You know, as an agency that is bottom up, so every plan we do is planned from the bottom up and we don't have any parameters on where we trade. Um, so when we think through that, our partnership ecosystem is larger and therefore uh, the results we get for clients is in hot demand because it's really, really strong. So it comes down to the intelligence that we put around investment. I think when I start, when I walked into the business, I said to Lizzie Baker, who's our national, our chief investment officer, I said, Lizzie, show me everything. Show us what's under the kit. And it took days. 
um, if not weeks, to understand everything that happens in Zenith. And I'm not saying this because I'm the CEO. I'm saying this because it's been our legacy for a long time that the tools that sit underneath the engine room of our investment product are second to none. Um, and I say that with experience, having been in media agencies a long time and having run investment um, departments before, the tools are excellent, but it's the people and the individuals that Lizzie leads and the team of MDs across our country lead, which is so impressive. I could call all of them and they know where our clients are trading at, what's up, what's down. In fact, I, I use this, I boast about this, um, but I get a report myself um, from our team every single Monday afternoon telling me which clients have appeared in the same ad spot as a competitor. Um, and I'm really proud to say I was only two last week. Um, that's today's data. And I just use that as one example of how on the pulse the entire business is around the intelligence we put into investment. And I suppose just for people who are unfamiliar about sort of, you know, how the sausage is made, how does one actually go about, from the point of view of a media agency, maximizing the value that you deliver back to the client when it comes to that investment side of things? Oh, that's a great question. And I think it comes down to first understanding your business, your client's business priorities, first and foremost. Some clients are looking for maximum reach, minimum frequency, the old Eric Burke Bass type of thinking. And we have abilities to do that through a number of the, the tools we have. But people who have been working through CPG and FMCG and retail for a very long time who bring their expertise to that and understanding where the market dynamics are changing, you know, as we start to look at AVOD being introduced into the market, as we start to look at television and thinking about reach holistically, we've got teams of people that think like that. And then on top of that, you've got others that are on the other spectrum potentially looking for really efficient leads and digital solutions because there might be a digital business. And we've got clients like that too. And so how we maximize return on their investment through better digital trading, better optimization and better measurement is what they're really focused on and we deliver around those as well. And I presume that um, once the procurement people enter the conversation, they, they want to know that you're getting the right price as well. Yeah, price has become an interesting factor when we start to look at pitches. I would say that pricing has been less abundant in new business pitching in recent times. Um, sure, uh, definitely across the pitches we've seen, it's there, but I wouldn't say it's the first thing always. I would say that if it, if it appears, because it's not always there, it is there, but potentially later on the piece or running kind of secondary to the the ideation work, the imagination work, as well as the team fit and chemistry. Something um, when we we had coffee a couple of weeks back, and you just said, which put the light bulb on for me. Thought this will be an interesting conversation to have for the podcast, and you've alluded to it again earlier on. This thing of um, you've just got to be really good at media, and it it almost struck me that media agencies have almost become a bit embarrassed just to just to go with that simple proposition. They they always all of them seem to offer extra services and extra add-ons. Um, what what do you see as what the core proposition of a media agency should be? Um, shouldn't they add on more or, or is it best to do, do a few things well? 
Yeah, uh, look, I, I can't really comment for everybody else. And you're right. What you've started to see, Tim, is this proliferation of what actually sits within a media organisation and what doesn't. And I guess it's down to every agency leadership team to start to define what it means for them at their business. For us at Zenith, we really thought about doing core media really well. And there are things in addition to that that we do. Insights, one of those things, and research. And I know we'll talk about that today. But I find that part and parcel in knowing kind of the marketplace very well and we want to do that better than anyone else. So that's a focus for us. But that's within, I believe, media. Um, but at, in addition to that, what you start to see here at Publicis and where Zenith um, sits within our holding group is really this broadening or this ability to connect what we do really well in media with what other agencies within our group do really well, be that digital transformation, business transformation, PR, what have you. So what, um, again, calling out Mike and the leadership team, we spend a lot of time talking about being very good at our speciali specialisms and being able to connect our specialisms in with others when a client really needs that. And that hasn't always worked well at the group level because inevitably there are kind of competitiveness between even kind of sister agencies. How do you manage that through as part of the publicist group then? Well, it's quite interesting because I found probably the contrary now that we've got this muscle memory around how to operate in a country model. I find that it's quite easy. I mean, I speak to most CEOs across our group, if not fortnightly, weekly, and we share about, okay, well, I've got this opportunity or they might be calling me because they've seen an opportunity. But actually, in fact, what's been very nice because it does get a little lonely sometimes is having a connection with another CEO on how are you going? Like the amount of calls I get and make on how are you going, mate? Is everything all right? How's your team? What are you doing in culture? What's your training program look like? And being able to share that information has been wonderful. And now that we've got that memory, the secondary benefit to that is I've got a lot of confidence with all the CEOs and all the businesses within Publicis. I can walk them in and have a really robust conversation with clients if the opportunity is there. But on top of that, we've got a number of clients that work with other agencies in other holding groups and we're so respectful of that and know how to play in the village makeup of relationships. I talk to Aldi um, quite a bit. You know, they've been working with another creative business, BMF, for a very long time. They do great work and I spoke to Jen this morning and we had a really nice robust chat about what we do, how BMF works and coming together and, you know, we had a strategy session four or five weeks ago where it was the two of us and it was fantastic to have that entire village together um, to talk about how we put our client at the heart and do great work. And even within the publicist group, there are a number of media agency brands. I wonder what – now, I wonder whether there is a type of client that is a particularly good fit for Zenith in particular. Oh, I'd like to say all of them, Tim, but as we know, conflicts arise. But um, I think there's probably a couple that we we really look for. Um, we, well, I mean, we love all the clients we work with, and I am meeting as I meet more and more of our clients. What I'm working out for Zenith is we love getting deep into clients, really strategically understanding business challenges, 
and then taking that out to the world through the scale of media. That's been our sweet spot. Um, and I've only learned that over the last three or four months as I've got to know our clients better to go, can you just tell me over a coffee, what have we done well? What, what, what have you enjoyed and where can we improve? And that's been a really interesting conversation around when we give you the opportunity to think about our business more, you're coming in here with really big innovation, really intelligent ways to get our message out to market. And that's the thing that has really excited me quite a bit about our client relationships. Well, look, we've touched a little bit on insight already. Um, what gives you the ability to deliver insights for clients they can't get somewhere else? Is it is it your people? Is it the tools you've got access to? You know, what? where are you actually adding value into that part of things? Yeah, I believe it's two areas, Tim. The first one I talk about is the team. Um, we've got a very unique offering here. So we have five people in our research and insights division who are traditional market side, so marketing side researchers, headed up by Kim Xavier. And so, and Kim's legacy comes from retail and um, CPG brands and joined us three and a half years ago. And when I met with Kim the very first time many years ago while I was a publicist, I said, Kim, I think there's something in what you do from an insights perspective and research perspective that I want, want to tap. Three and a bit years later, we get to sit down and work together. And I remember sitting with her earlier this year saying, Kim, I think there's something missing in the market on real-time insight. Can you help us with that? Can we solve for that? And Kim came back to me and said, JT, I think we've we've stumbled on something which is understanding Australians through going back and asking them how they're feeling about things on a regular basis. So we do that. Uh, we now have um, a number of months' worth of data on how Aussies are feeling, be that on um, the budget. So that was only last week. Um, so giving you a really nice insight on how Australians are feeling about the budget, how they're feeling about things like climate change, food prices, the economy, inflation, how they're using media differently and getting that as close to real time. That isn't real time, that's near time data. But within a week or a month, really having a good sense of where Australians are at. And we've been able to do that time and time again and starting to share that information with our clients now. And is that a database of um, uh, or a panel which will be useful in being predictive of you know, I guess politics, that sort of thing, you know, will, will, we, will, will you be able to do polling when the next election comes along or, or the, next, uh, the next referendum? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got a good understanding of the referendum from earlier this year already. Um, we haven't used it to poll any elections as yet, but we will, um, there's no doubt. But also what we're really interested in is understanding from our client's perspective, what, what, do they want to know from the Australian public and how can we help them build that knowledge gap quickly and then go and address that knowledge gap? And that's what we're starting to work with our clients on. What, uh, what is the data telling you so far about the mood of voting on the referendum? Look, it is quite close. Um, the data is telling us it's about a 43-57 in favour of a no vote at the moment. Um, remember, this is nationally representative data. Um, 
And so there's a little bit of work to do when it comes to the referendum on um, if a yes vote is to get up, um, there's some work to do. Um, saying that, I think they're looking for education. I think the Australian population, from the data that we have, are still not sure what the vote would be on and what they're voting for. And I think that's probably the clear message that we're getting through the data, which is if we know what we're voting for and we've got confidence around that, then that might change. But as you know, Tim, winning a referendum is quite difficult. Um, you need a double majority, um, and that's quite hard to get through. So um, there hasn't been many referendums passed, but um, we're all hopeful on a change on this one. Well, you're already wearing more than one hat because you've just become chair of the Auditor Media Association of Australia. Um, wearing your audit hat, what's on the agenda? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And um, when I start to think about that, one is auditing is a big topic, but I think we've got two clear areas or three really clear areas, our legacy and our history. You know, we've been around since 1932, um, auditing newspaper um, circulation and readership for or circulation for a long time. Um, that started to come off a little bit, as you can imagine. Um, however, um, we introduced AIMCO four years ago, which is an exceptional business that looks at um, bringing some auditing and some regulation to the social media industry. I'll see that continuing to thrive. And in addition to that, as we start to think about the digital inquiry that was came through 18 months ago and that continues on, I think bringing some auditing and self-regulation to digital channels will be the, the third area of focus. I must admit, I one of the disappointments or frustrations for me of writing about the media scene here in Australia over the last few years was the depowering of audit. You know, the fact that magazines and newspapers really stepped away in, in preference of a readership metric uh, instead. Um, it just seemed like a loss of transparency. Um, and that was, you know, in my view, was that was a, a criticism of both the media owners, but also of media agencies and marketers for sort of putting up with that. Um, am, I, am I judging that too harshly? I think so. I think people, when you move to a readership metric rather than circulation, what you're trying to get to is eyeballs and reach. And I absolutely understand that. To your point, though, it would be great to get auditing back on the agenda. It's an important part of our industry. It has been, like I said, we've been around, the AMAA has been around since um, the early 1930s, which most people, you know, we're in, you know, we'll be 100 in. Um, 2032, and that's a, a, a massive statistic to say that Australians have been auditing and really thinking about advertising in kind of print for a long, long time. And we've evolved now into more of a digital business, and I would suggest that um, we'll continue to audit digitally and We've still got the circulation database. We've still got all the history and the, the archives that sit there, but we would love to do more and more in the, let's call the traditional print space too, and think about how those two come together, both digital and traditional metrics. And do you see a potential place for the AMAA to be part of the solution when it comes to fraud in the digital space? Um. 
Fraud's an interesting one. I think that there's plenty of people playing in the fraud space, third-party verification. Fraud requires um, te- technological advancements and SaaS solutions, and that's nothing that at this moment's part of our agenda. However, taking those third-party vendors and auditing them within stitched-up audience data and um, impression-based data is something that we, we would look at. So it's probably a hybrid versus a hardcore, here's, here's what fraud looks like. It would probably be, this is what fraud looks like in an audited reach perspective. Well, let's switch back to your 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 day job of running the agency, and let's let's gaze into the future. Another topic: um, AI. How do you see AI changing operations in the day to day or week to week? It's a great question, Tim, and it's something we're embracing and still working through at the same time. I think there's a number of um, op- early opportunities when we think about. Um, some content writing in our digital area of the business, um, which has been very interesting. Um, uh, mining data, how do we get into databases faster and a little bit more naturally than having 15 analysts trying to do it? How do we use technology to speed that process up and find some real nuggets of information? You know, when you go to AI platforms and look at generative AI, there's certain things it can't do, i.e. understanding real-time or near-time trends. And that was actually quite insightful for myself and for us as we started to ask questions of the technology. We started to find pockets where we need to be investing our time. And the other thing is when we've been needed to use the technology to accelerate. And so we're still working through what that looks like from a business operations perspective. Um, we're starting to look at what processes um, can technology help us do faster. We're really excited about some of those things. Um, and then on top of that, where do we as people start to either use that technology or enhance the knowledge? You know, you're talking about AI and ML. How do you start to increase the language processing of those um, solutions so that we can get faster as well? So it's a, it's a big topic at the moment. In fact, um, we're working with something we call our next generation board internally, our NGB, um, of which we've got 15 people who aren't on our leadership team who get to work on some strategic projects for us. And AI is one of those two topics that they're working on for us at the moment. And do you think it means inevitably smaller communications agencies just because there there would be jobs at the lower end which at the moment are being done by humans that can be outsourced to ai or at least part of them can yeah i think it comes down to um, team management so as you start to think about things like um billings start to think about and these are the these are the um questions we're starting to ask what what are the the repeatable tasks which potentially with oversight by humans can technology start to pick up and make it more efficient for us so that we can have those people do what humans do best which is a think think about other humans think about how we solve for big business problems etc so i don't think it's a a level 
conversation, there's parts of everyone's roles, mine included, which if technology can take some of that lifting away, will mean we're more efficient as people. And I think that's what we're looking for. Hey, a uh, question about you personally, looking at your LinkedIn profile, I see you proudly have the initials after your name, G-A-I-C-D, graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors. Um, what uh, what motivated you to go away and get that qualification? Great question. Um, a few things. I'm, I'm very um, – I'm not the most studious person. Anyone who knows me knows that being and reading long, long forms of anything, even though I've got a, a library I was showing you earlier, um, I do read them all, but I audio book everything. Um, but doing that reading was tough. I mean, it, it's a long, intensive five-week prep um, course. But really, I got into it because I love the startup scene. Um, I'm involved with a couple myself. And something that I've always liked doing is being part of the operations of an organization. Since I started to move into more MD, GMMD, and CEO roles, I really started to understand and be fascinated by the machinations of business, which might sound really boring to some people. Um, and to do that, I felt like I needed to really get schooled in what that looks like. And I didn't feel like there was a better opportunity than doing the course with the um, AICD. It's a lot of fun. I met some fantastic people, but it really came down to that investment of time to understand how to make a business run properly, both financially, from a legal perspective, and all those things there. You really get a sense of it. So I did it. A few years ago, it's not the easiest thing you'll do. Um, the, not, and not a lot of people go through the assessment, um, which is half the battle. That that uh, multi-thousand word essay that you need to need to submit is uh, pretty hairy. But I tell you what, waiting for your results is actually harder. That's for sure. <laughs> and do you think it's helped you put yourself in clients' shoes a little bit more as well, or see the world from their perspective? Oh, without a doubt. And it's not just listed companies. Yes, absolutely, from a listed company perspective, it helped. But even ones that are not, you sit there with a marketer, CEO, even finance director when you're negotiating contracts. Like it helps with all those ends, understanding where they're coming from. Um, and I, I think it's been invaluable to understand where you make an impact in a business, also how sometimes you're viewed in those businesses and kind of making those two things. How, how do you help a CEO understand the value of brand marketing and advertising? So many of them see it. And so how do you put a value on that for a board? And thinking through those problems are definitely things we've started, well, through this course, it's really given me a nice lens and a nice eye on how we do that. Do you think you'd make a good marketer? I'm probably terrible, Tim. Um, I think I, I, I meant. Uh, I think about, and I, I, I'm not sure. I think um, I love business strategy. That's for sure. Um, but I think that I enjoy personally enjoy the pace of um, having multiple clients in multiple categories um, and working, jumping from business problem to business problem like that. Um, I think that's where my strength is. So. I'm not sure if I would actually make a great market. I'm also not very textbook. Um, and so I still have, I, I do, I promise you, I still have my, all my marketing material from university. Um, I do tell the very funny story that when I was in 
um, when I was in university going through which course I should do, I, um, I wanted to do management, but the management course was full. So I went to the next one, which was marketing. Um, and I don't think that's the only reason why I'm here today, but it was definitely a telling point. But I still have my old marketing textbooks um, and I flick through them from time to time because I think some of those principles are really quite interesting. Um, but I think I'm really, really happy on agency side, leading people. I mean, I say this quite a bit to the team that, you know, though you're an advertising professional, there's a point in your career, and I found this maybe three to four years ago, where your craft actually changes from advertising to leadership. And I spent a good bulk of my time thinking about both advertising and now building on that with leadership and honing what it means to be a good leader for your people and serve your team. And I think if you can serve your team and serve your clients, um, you, 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 you've got half a chance. Jason, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Tim. Today's podcast was produced by Sajid Alzadi and edited by the enthusiastic team at Abe's Audio. More soon. Toodle pip. Unmade. Podcast edit by Abe's Audio.